rise. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter is going to walk us through here this morning um, a couple of instructions. Two, namely to the elders, to the pastors, and one, namely to the congregation. And so first we're going to see that the elder is to know his calling. A pastor should know what his calling is. And there are some explicit instructions here from Peter. And then second, the pastor is called to fulfill his calling. To know his role, yes, but to fulfill it. And there will be a day when fulfillment will be discerned and judged by God as yes or no. And then number three, Peter says to the congregation at large and to the pastors, hey, here is how you are to coexist as exiles in this foreign land. So that's where we're going this morning real quickly as we work through this passage. The first thing I want to do is I want to say that we, as we said last week, we acknowledged 130 years as existence as Rocky Point Baptist Church. Two Fridays ago, February... uh, February, September the 12th was our 130th anniversary. And we talked last week about being a pillar and a buttress of the truth and how we, over the ages, we have been placed in this church in this time to be those that would make certain that we hold forth the faith of Jesus Christ in such a way that we are a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And in this 130 year history of our church, there are moments critical moments where the people that God has assembled at this location make significant decisions. And we are upon one of those this very day. We are coming together today to acknowledge the affirmation of the Lord that we would call a man to join us, his family at two, to join us, yes, as members of this church. But it's bigger than that to come along and shepherd us as a congregation, as a flock of Jesus Christ's. And so I want you to work through this passage with me, and I want you to do one final analysis of, of yes, our man, our candidate, but of, yes, the other shepherds, the other pastors that have been here for other durations of time. I want you to, to look into what we're called by God to be about as pastors. And I want you to say, I see that or I don't see that. And if you don't see that, There's instructions in the Scripture for what you're to do if you don't see it. You're to come to us in love, yes, but come to us and say, hey, let's talk about this. But I want you to understand this morning, there are no secrets within a church about pastoral callings, pastoral responsibilities, pastoral accountabilities. There are no secrets. We shepherd before you exposed, open, vulnerable. Not hiding anything, pulling the curtain back and saying, here's who we are called by God to be. So discern with me this morning and look into the lives of your pastors and this candidate and see if you see these things. Okay, so here's the first thing. A true pastor that is called by God knows his calling, knows his role. And it's spelled out clearly in Scripture. And we have four things right here. First of all, in verse 2, we see that Peter says, 
you as elders are to shepherd the flock that is among you, and you are to exercise oversight. So shepherd the flock and exercise oversight. Throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, God's people over and over again are referred to as a flock. And there's always this sheep and shepherd analogy. And it works so well. I will not go into how that analogy fully builds out in our midst. That's for another time. I've got only a limited amount of time today. But I will say that literal sheep need two critical things from their shepherds. Literal sheep, livestock sheep. They need provision because they can't hunt. They can't feed themselves. They need water. They need to be led by still waters. They need provision, yes. And they need protection because they have no defenses. They are the most vulnerable of livestock that we know. And so they need provision and protection from shepherds. And the same is true for the spiritual flock of God. You and me. You and me. Because every elder, every pastor is also a sheep. Because there's a chief shepherd, and we'll get to that just in a moment. But we also need provision and protection. And we need spiritual provision and spiritual protection. And the shepherds that God raises up provide that right here with this. We are in a feeding session right now. I am putting feed in the trough from the chief shepherd. And I pray, and I have prayed all week, that you would like this food. It's God's word. It's the bread of life. It's manna that came down from heaven. You need the nutrients and the nourishment that comes from this. And so this is one of the moments in which I, as a shepherd in this congregation, provide for you good, solid, nutritious feed. But you also need protection. And we're not talking about physical protection. You've got a house and we've got police and all. I, that's not my role. You need spiritual protection from false teaching. So it comes back to the word again. In fact, if you look at all the exhortations to pastors, especially in 1 Timothy and Titus, Titus chapter 1 verse 10 through 2 chapter 1 is all about shepherds protecting the flock from false doctrine, false teachers who are feeding poison to the sheep. There is a heavy emphasis in scripture on refuting false teaching. And so we as shepherds in modern day, under shepherds to Jesus Christ in his church, are to be about providing and protecting. And it's all done through this source. It's not physical. Spiritual. And there's some very explicit instructions that we're going to get into here to make certain that we are all about providing and protecting with the word of God and not ourselves. Second, look in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. A pastor, a shepherd, an elder, an overseer must always, always, always remember that the congregation is not his. It's God's. And I mean to tell you, this is true in the good times and in the lean times. <laughs> it is very easy as a pastor when a church is going through rocky periods to say, this is your church, Lord. 
Deal with it. You're going to have to take this one, Lord. You're going to have to nurture your church through this. It's very easy to do that. And then turn around and in the prospering times to say, look at my church. We're getting it done. I have arrived, right? It's a scary, dangerous thing to be up here in this role right now. It is a dangerous calling. There's a book. I I encourage the congregation to read it. It's by Paul Tripp. Dangerous calling. Being a pastor, being an elder is a highly dangerous calling. Because we are fallen men. And there are all kinds of pitfalls that await us. And we must say faithful to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, through all circumstances. And we must be Six men, right? Six elders in this church as we speak today. Six men calling one another. Hey, hey, pay attention to this. Get back over here to this. Don't drift over there, right? It is a dangerous calling that requires a plurality of leadership to keep us on God's path. And to keep us mindful that this is the flock of the living God. Right? We talked last week. The church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. The household of God And it belongs to the living God. It's the living God's church, not the elders' church. And so we need to be mindful to passages like Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul writes to elders in Ephesus at the time, Be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, you hear it, which he obtained with his own blood. Love that passage. It's, it's a Trinitarian passage, right? We see the Father, God purchased this church. He, he cares for this church. It's the church of God. He obtained it with His own blood. There's the Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. And what does it say? In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bringing together a congregation and installing overseers, bishops, elders, pastors. It's God's church, the triune God's church. So then Peter, after establishing your called to shepherd elders, you're called to oversee, and, and you, while you do this, don't get mentally off base here. This is not your church. This is God's. And Paul says it's the Trinitarian God's. Then we get two things in this passage. We get a warning We get three, actually, warnings, and we get three exhortations, three encouragements, three admonishments. Let's look at these three warnings first. We are warned as pastors. We are warned against leading and overseeing with wrong motives. We need texts like this. I need texts just like this. In fact, I've said this often, the, the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and then passages like the Acts passage in chapter 20 that I read, and, and 1 Peter here, and there's some passages in 2 Peter, those passages in a pastor's Bible need to be well-worn. Those pages need to be yellow with coffee stains and oil from our fingertips. They need to be marked up with notes. There needs to be prayers in the margin. Father, help me to do this. We come to these passages often. And these warnings, I need 
And I want you to see how God warns me and the other elders and how God warns a man like Josh Lewis. I want you to see the warnings that we get here. And I want you to pray these for us that we would not fall into these. So here's number one. We are not to shepherd God's flock under compulsion. Under compulsion. This is not a profession. Got another book that I love. Brothers, we're not professionals. It's a book to pastors that says, do not turn this into a career. This is a calling. This is something unique. Not everybody is called to this. Do not turn it into a profession. Do not get certifications and degrees so that you can be a CPA or an LP. No, this is not a professional calling. This is something very unique. And we are not to come to the job, if I dare even call it that, under compulsion. Uh -uh. This cannot be because we've invested money and time in seminary and so I'm educated to do this, so I've got to do what I'm educated to do. That's under compulsion. That is a bad reason to be a pastor. This cannot be because, well, this is all I've done for the last 14 years and I'm not in the mood for a career change, so I'm just going to keep on coming. That's under compulsion. This can't even be for self-fulfillment, okay? We, we can't even come here to, to say, I get such fulfillment out of doing this for myself. That's coming under a selfish compulsion. It can't be because we need the paycheck. The direct deposit is just too comfortable. That is not a reason to come. That is, that is coming under compulsion. In fact, we don't even come to this until we get our next job. If we're not to be here, we leave here. We don't come under compulsion of any means or any shape or any form. Such an elder that comes to his role in a church under compulsion will not stand up under the pressures of pastoring a church. Can't do it. If a pastor comes under compulsion, he cannot stand up under the day in and day out of suffering and weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice and dealing with all the issues that come with shepherding a flock of a large number of people. Cannot come under compulsion. It will evaporate and it will not be well for him and the flock. It won't be good. Number two. So not under compulsion. Number two, a pastor cannot shepherd a flock that belongs to God for shameful gain. Do you see that there in verse two? Not for shameful gain. It cannot be for fortune. It cannot be for reputation. It cannot be for power or influence. It cannot be, as I said just a minute ago, for self-fulfillment. Those are shameful, shameful reasons. For a man to be a pastor in a church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And there are churches around the world full of such men. Perhaps you've seen such. It's ugly. It's dangerous to him and to the congregation. Number three. Number three is found there in verse three. Not domineering over those in your charge. Pastors must not be manipulative. 
must not manipulate the congregation to go where they want them to go. They must lead a congregation to where Christ wants her to go. But it's not where I want her to go. They must not leverage people to do what they want them to do. They must not intimidate, coerce, poke, prod. They must serve. True shepherds that shepherd the flock of God, exercising good oversight, serve the flock. Yes, they lead, but they lead by serving, not manipulating, not leveraging, not intimidating, but by serving. The outcome of these kinds of pastors that aren't here for shameful gain, that don't domineer it over those in their charge, the outcome for those pastors is good. For them, yes, but more importantly, for the flock of God. I want to take you to a very stiff warning in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. Because there's a, there's a two by four, no, there's a, there's a buzzsaw passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 34, where the shepherds of God's flock are, are admonished are disciplined, are reprimanded by God through the prophet Ezekiel. And, and this is a passage that guys like me need to camp out in from time to time. And we need to hold it with what? Uh, Psalm 139, search me, O Lord, and show me if there's any offensive way in me. That verse needs to be prayed as I read uh, Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10. Let's just read this together, and I want you to take the, the seriousness of the calling here of, of a pastor or elder in God's church. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel writing. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled over them. You hear Peter's warning here? So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They're God's sheep. It's God's flock, right? My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand. And put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. That they may not be food for them. 
Wow. I call every elder at Rocky Point Baptist Church, Kenneth, Colton, Tony, Floyd, Art, me, take passages like this seriously. Take passages like this seriously. This is a dangerous calling. If we toy with the flock of God in any way, shape, or form, if we come to this under compulsion, we're wrong. If we come to this for shameful gain, we're deathly wrong. If we domineer over those in our charge, we are vilely wrong. And we are doing what these shepherds did in Israel in Ezekiel chapter 34. This is serious, serious work. Now, Peter, back over to 1 Peter, takes us and, and shows us some positives. <laughs> I'm thankful for these. Okay, I know what not to do. I'm clear. I've got three of them, and I don't want to be about any one of those. Now, what should I do, Peter? What should I do, God, who inspired this? Well, three things. We are to come to this calling willingly. Willingly. How can you say that? And the next one's eagerly. You got to smile when you proclaim those words. This is not a treacherous deal. This is not something that we come to under compulsion. We come to this willingly. And I hear echoes of Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3. Because here's what he says. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Aspire and desire. We are to come to this willingly. We are to aspire to be shepherds. We are to desire it. And we are also to see it as good. That's what noble task means. So you, congregation, must pray that your elders come to work. And whether we're on staff or non-paid elders, we come to work in this congregation. You need to pray that we come aspiring to it, desiring to do it, seeing that it is noble and good and worth our efforts. And the minute we don't see it like that, we are disqualified. If we don't see it good and noble and we don't want it, we're not qualified. Because God raises shepherds up that come aspiring to this. Second, we are to come eagerly. Not with dread. Not with reluctance. Not with doubt. Not begrudgingly. No, we're, we're to come eagerly. And I will tell you, just like in your jobs, sometimes that's hard for us. No secrets. Uh, th this is not a picture of a, of a softy job where you just sit around and talk all day and read. No, we're, we're, we're amongst the flock getting dirty, sometimes getting bloody. We get blood on our uniforms as elders. We do. And, and I don't know that there's a week goes by that we don't get some blood on our uniform. Okay? But we still... We still come eagerly because it's noble. And we have a God-given aspiration 
to fulfill this most cherished calling. And there's just a very few men that God calls to do this that are truly doing it. There's, there's maybe a lot of men in the role that aren't called and they should not. They're defying all of this. But those that are truly called and fulfilling this role, there's a few of those men in the world. Think about it. There's not a lot of these men. And God says through Peter, you do this eagerly, with joy, with anticipation, understanding the, the impact and the weightiness of what you are doing day in and day out. We, we need to be eager as pastors in even our thoughts about this church. Certainly in our words and our deeds. But we need to be eager in our thoughts. I eagerly prayed for this service last night at 1015 walking the road. I eagerly prayed. I didn't pray with dread. I prayed with eagerness. Excited about coming today to stand before you and provide for you food. And I've prayed that you would like it. (laughs) That you would delight in it. And that you would want more. And so the pastor, the elder, is to be willing, yes. And with that willingness, he is to be eager. And then third, and boy, here's a big one. This one gets a little scary, to be honest with you. Because he says we are to be examples to the flock. Okay? That's accountability language. Example. And so I want you to, to hear Hebrews thirteen seven. This is instructions to you, congregation. But there is a, a roundabout instruction to me and the elders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. I am a leader of yours, and I'm speaking the word of God to you right now. It's straight scripture. Remember them. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's scary. And we did some teaching here in this congregation last fall and last spring. Men's, we did it right in here. Every man a shepherd, every family a flock. And so I want you to be careful, men, right now. Don't back out of this and say this is a message uniquely to just elders, although that is the context of Peter's passage. This responsibility is even on you as dad. You are to live your faith out in Jesus Christ in such a way before your flock, your wife and your kids, that they would be wise and benefited by imitating your faith. That happens at home, and we are here the household of God, the church of the living God, and so we as as shepherds are to do that before you as well. We are to conduct ourselves in such a way that our faith is worthy of your imitation. And Paul qualifies this for us, and we go here, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So as long as the elders of a church imitate Christ, you, the congregation, must imitate them. You must follow our example. Yet we're fallen men, and when we don't imitate Christ well, we'll see other scriptures in a moment. You're to come to us. And to call us back so that we'll be imitable, imitatable. Is that even a word? I make up words sometimes in sermons. You are to correct us lovingly so that we are worthy of you imitating us. 
You see the relationship that God has established for his church with overseers and the flock. So, I've got another stiff Old Testament warning. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 20. Because this this example and this language of imitation is very evident in this story in Moses' life as he was leading Israel. Okay, Israel's wandering in the wilderness. They're complaining. They're arguing. They might even be plotting against Moses and Aaron and the leaders. They're grumbling because they are out in the wilderness and they're going to die of, of thirst. It's already been lack of food. Now it's a lack of water. We'd have been better off if we'd have been back in Egypt where we were slaves. At least we had three square meals a day and a place to sleep and lay our head down. And in verse 6 of Numbers chapter 20, we read, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, your brother, and tell... and." And tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Speak to that rock, Moses. Draw water out with your voice. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord and commanded as the Lord commanded him. Verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Oh, Moses. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. God said, speak. He strikes twice. And water came abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses, remember, we are to be Worthy of imitation, elders, congregation. The word of the Lord to Moses and Aaron was this. Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. You hear the imitation, the the example that's to be set? In the eyes of the people, you're to hold me up as holy, Moses and Aaron. But you didn't. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. There's an example that elders are to hold forth before the congregation. And that example is the Lord is holy and righteous and worthy of all worship and worthy of obedience. That is the example. And to the degree that we do that before the congregation, you are called by God To imitate us. To imitate us. And man, there's some responsibility in this for you. It's not a sit back and say, well, I'll just see if they're worthy of imitation. No. I plead with you, pray for us. That we would be worthy of being imitated. Don't snipe at us. 
Pray for us. Lord, I need a pastor. I need an elder that is worthy of imitating. Because I need help. I'm a sheep. I need to be provided. And I need to be protected, spiritually speaking. Would you give me a shepherd that's worthy of imitating so that I get that? That is what you must do as a congregation for the six elders. And yes, for Josh Lewis, as we consider this morning, what God would do. You've got a responsibility. You cannot sit back and say, yep, nope, no, intercede for us. And when necessary, you come with a couple of witnesses. You say, this is not worthy of imitation. You must change. And if we don't, we're out. Serious calling for a church and a congregation to rightly relate to one another. So long as God's called us to be together before His Son comes again. Serious calling. So now in verse 4 of 1 Peter 3. We see that a true pastor fulfills his calling. We just looked at four things specifically that we are to be about. We had a, a warning against three wrongs. We had a, an encouragement towards three rights. And now we see in verse 4 that a true pastor fulfills his mission. Because here's what the passage says. When the chief shepherd... And your chief shepherd, that shepherd there is a capital S. That is straight up a reference to Jesus Christ. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That crown will be received if we have obeyed what has been said before now. If we have come willingly and eagerly and if we've been a good example to you. And if we've not come under compulsion. And if we've not come for selfish, greedy gain, and if we've not domineered over you, if we've done all that, there is an unfading crown of glory. And it's going to come from the chief shepherd. Who's the chief shepherd? Jesus Christ. Go soak on the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, in John 10 this afternoon as you pray for us as elders. He is embodied as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd in that passage, because he is truly one who didn't do this under compulsion, didn't do it for greedy gain, didn't domineer, was willing and was eager and was a good example. That is our Christ, the chief shepherd of this church. Philippians 2, you know this passage well, 5 through 8. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, not a dictator, a servant, and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. How dare any under shepherd, any pastor or elder treat a flock any differently than Jesus did. Stiff. You need to pray that we would imitate Christ as we shepherd you, the congregation.
And I'll speak on behalf of every pastor that genuinely cared about shepherding on behalf of Jesus Christ in the history of history. Every pastor craves a congregation that would pray such for him. We do. So this chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, is whom we as under-shepherds should serve and serve this congregation on behalf of. And I'm here to tell you, when a pastor rightly relates to Jesus Christ, he will rightly relate to the flock that God has given under his charge. That's how it works. If my relationship is not good with Christ, I will not shepherd you well. I won't. And, and it's kind of vice versa. I think that one comes first, but it, but it works the other way too. If I don't shepherd you well, I'm not going to be right with Christ. So the stakes are high. This is all about Jesus Christ. Whether I'm doing this right now, whether I'm teaching in chapel tomorrow morning at, at the school, Tuesdays and Thursdays, Bible class with third through sixth graders, Coffee with one of you, golf with another, I'm open, let me know. I have to be right with Christ in all of those endeavors. I've got to be right with Christ in my day off. Because I don't quit being an under-shepherd. So the stakes are high, and we as elders must embrace that, and you as a congregation must pray that we would be worthy of being imitated, that we'd be good examples so that you will grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. And yes, look, there is a reward for fulfilling this mission. When the chief shepherd appears, I'll tell you, I, I could go on. I'll, I'll just say this. Our mission as elders, as, as pastors in this church, is to prepare you for the day that the chief shepherd appears. Everything we do here is preparatory for that, so that when that day comes, it will be good for God and you. That's what we're about. We don't take vacations from that. And He could come at any moment. So we're very, very intentional as we provide and protect you in this world that we together are exiles in. And he will, because there's a crown of glory that is to be given. It means it's not given if we don't honor him in the way that we fulfill our calling. He will hold us accountable. And so Hebrews thirteen seventeen is something that we need to jump into real quickly. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is instructions to the congregation. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You do not sign up too quickly to be a pastor. Because you will be called to give an account for how you served in God's flock. James chapter 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Do not quickly sign up for this calling. And don't come under compulsion. It will not work out for you. So there is a reward for fulfilling this mission. And it will be presented at the day that Christ, our promised Savior, 
will return as guaranteed in all of Scripture. Now, let me turn real quickly and let's look at the third point, And that is, what is the congregation's role in this relationship between pastor and church? Verse 5. 1 Peter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. There's some debate about this passage. Who is the younger? Some say the younger is younger in the faith, that hopefully elders are mature in the faith. And so I don't know that that's exactly right. I think it works. But there are some people that are very old and mature in the faith that are under the leadership of elders. It seems best to understand that Peter is writing to the young in the church, physically, age-wise young, because young people tend to struggle with submitting to authority and leadership, even within the church. But we can say this, we are all called to this being subject to the elders because he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, in the very next phrase. So to the younger, submit, but clothe yourselves, all of you, So there is an exhortation here for a congregation to be clothed with humility and submission to worthy elders. And we get this from three different authors. This is Peter writing this. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Congregations are charged by God to esteem their elders highly in love, so long as they're loving them and serving them in Christ. And he says, be at peace amongst yourselves. The writer of Hebrews, if we go back to this Hebrews 13, 17, remember it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then it says this, let them do this with joy. And not grumbling, for that would be of no advantage to you. Notice he doesn't say no advantage to the elder. So, congregations are to coexist with their elders peacefully, lovingly. And it's good for the congregation that they do that. And God has set a priority on that. For the congregation. And I think lastly, is what I would say is, when, when he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, I think it might be safe to say that he's now speaking to congregation and to elder and saying, hey, you two peoples, would you clothe yourselves in humility? Would you put the interests of each other ahead of your own? And would you be humble in the way that you relate to one another, Elder to congregation, congregation to elder. And only then will there be unity that shows the world outside that we're exiles within, that Jesus Christ is real, unique, and worthy of looking into. We proclaim the gospel in how we relate to one another as congregation and elder. So, 
Here we are this morning. We are the church of the living God. And the challenge for us this morning as elders and as a candidate and as a congregation is to not take church lightly. Do not take this lightly. This has eternal significance. Everything we do when we gather together in the name of Christ has the weight of eternity resting upon it. How pastors view the church will affect how pastors lead the church. How the congregation views the church will affect how the congregation relates to the pastors. If we do this rightly, we will be, as we saw last week, truly a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And we live in a world that is trying to tear the truth down. May we be a people that build the truth up. Let's pray. Father, your church is a gift to us. Your church is a gift to us. Where would we be without the church? We would be left to ourselves, wandering around in a world that's hostile towards us, with no reinforcements, no one to stand beside us. And Father, your, your leadership in the church, if I may so humbly pray, is a gift to us, provided that these shepherds that you raise up do not go the way of Ezekiel 34, do not go the way of Numbers 20 and Moses and his moment, and Father, I pray that you would lead us as a, as a people to be right in our relationship with one another, elder to congregation, congregation to elder, and that you would build us into a harmonious, united pillar and buttress of the truth for your glory and for our benefit in this world as we wait for your son to return. And I pray this in his name. Amen.